Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1324, entitled Wonder Women. Our podcast title is Podcom. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. We are, eventually, we got round to talking about... Wonder Woman 84, mm. the new movie. And since we're going with a strong women theme today, we'll also talk about WandaVision, the new Marvel series. And that will be all coming up in today's Zero G. Now, Wonder Woman 84. I went off to see it at the cinema on the weekend. Mm. Uh, yes, I went and saw it uh, few weeks ago now. Uh, but yeah, it was one of the few kind of big blockbuster releases that they've started rolling out. Because obviously we don't have as much in the cinema as we're normally used to, but it was one of the big kind of flagship ones that we've been waiting for for a while. So it was good to trot off. Was that your first time back in the at the Pickies? No, Tenant was. Ah, uh, that's right. Of yeah. course. Yes. Although given the time loop premise, perhaps I've been to see Tenant more than once and I just don't know it. <laughs> anyway... Wonder Woman 84. Now, this has been long delayed from uh, December 13th, 2019. And mm-hmm. they kicked it forward to June the 5th, 2020. And then mm-hmm. they closed it for all of that and all of the pandemic. And here it is now. Wow. So I think this has been like four or five times they've kicked it forwards. So we've been waiting for mm. Gado. For quite some time. <laughs> now, they, what they actually did, Warner Brothers, they've announced that their entire 2021 uh, slate of movies, well, they're all being simultaneously released at the mm. cinema and on HBO, uh, HBO Max, which has been a very controversial move amongst the filmmakers especially who are saying, well, we didn't sign up for this to be released on television. Mm. So, you know, there are some issues there to start with. Look, it's, it's Patty Jenkins' film, again, directing it. Uh, mm-hmm. She's one of the two writers on it as well. Mm-hmm. And everybody who is still able to in terms of uh, their characters are still around, and some of them who aren't, <laughs> have reprised their roles in this one. So, yeah, mm. you know... Um, Elgato and also Chris Pine. Now, you've probably mm. seen the trailers, uh, so it's no real, you know, uh, bit of a bit of a spoiler to say that, that Chris Pine's character returns in this film in the, in the year 1984, as it says on the tin. Mm. So here we are. The story is actually fairly simple, really, when you think about it. Um, mm. Gal Gadot's... Um, uh, Diana Prince is now living in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And working there too. She's with the Smithsonian. Um, you know, we've seen the Wonder Woman character appear in the 
other films, apart from the uh, original 2017 one, she's also appeared in Batman versus Superman, Superman mm-hmm. sorry, Superman, Dawn of Justice, and also in Justice League. Yeah. So here she is again. I'm presuming this is set after all those other films. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing so. I, I mean, because oh, obviously. On. No, hang on. It's set before them because it's in 84. Ah, of course, yes. <laughs> And, um, and, and, yeah, because we've done the the big time jump, I guess, because we had World War One for the first film, and then they've obviously picked kind of a fun time to set this one and and you know give us some more of her adventures in more of a modern day setting and kind of give her a bit of a backstory yeah. uh, going forward. Shades of Captain Marvel, actually. Mm, mm, mm. Now that's not the only coincidence of. Uh... <laughs> marvellous sort of paradigms running through this one. Um, I'm thinking about it because they bring, look, they bring uh, Chris Pine's character, Steve Trevor, back. Tell you that up front. Now that's down to a kind of magic, we'll say. Yeah, I mean, it's a very loosely held together premise for that. (laughs) But um, I think we're just meant to boldly accept that for what it is as a viewer. (laughs) I, I actually had mixed feelings about that to start with and it took me a while to unpick why I didn't quite like the magical idea and, and then I thought, oh, it's because we've had all these years of Marvel movies where it's all down to some kind of pseudoscience explanation. Mm. So the Marvel movies are all science fiction. Even the ma- magical elements in those are all down to alternate realms and quantum theory and, you know, even, yeah. if, even if something like the Infinity Stones really, they are literally like hand wavium sort of plot devices. Yeah. And, and so I thought I slapped myself about the face a bit for a moment and I said, no, 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 they've actually set up, they've got gods, they've got magic, um, they're not, you know, that, we'll go, we'll let, let them have that. Mm, mm, you know. mm. I mean, yeah, I think this is very much, there's kind of a MacGuffin in there that's just basically letting the story move forward and they're just using you're right it's it's not very well thought out in terms of there's no real backstory to the magic or there's no it's just kind of a like here's the thing we're going to use so we can make these plot things happen and uh steve obviously is one of those plot things and it's it's a bit <laughs> yeah we get kind of a one scene explanation of oh so this is kind of what's happening here which is it makes no sense and it's ridiculous <laughs> Um, and it's one of the one of the many problems I had with the film. But to be honest, I was fine with it in the end because he brought some of the only laughs and joy in the film, his character. So I actually that was a welcome relief in the end, even though it was a very thin uh, idea. Do you remember one of the problems we had with the first Wonder Woman movie, the Patty Jenkins one back in 2017, I think, mm, mm, mm. was that you had a guy... An actor called Chris playing a character called Steve. Mm, yeah. <laughs> who sacrifices himself to save the United States and other parts of the. Well, actually, whatever, whatever, he, whatever he did to save it. During a world war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flying a bomber. <laughs> <laughs> and before you could say, Captain America, now he's gone forward to the future. Yeah, true. And he's a fish fish out out of water. water. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, Marvel doesn't own those ideas. And I think that's a fairly common 
uh, kind of trope. And I, I personally, I think that Chris Pine sells it enough that I'm along for the ride because I actually think he's quite delightful. But you're right. I mean, we're a real cut and paste kind of situation here. <laughs> yeah. So in Washington, 1984, so look, they run the full gamut leaning into the, the 80s. And I thought they actually did that quite well. Uh, the, the, yeah, they did set it up. They really leaned in to quite heavily to the 80s theme. The music, the hair, the outfits. Uh, <laughs> there's actually a scene in there that's a bit like um, uh, the Doctor Who Time Lord regeneration scene where, where uh, Steve Trevor gets his outfit together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they did some rather, I consider it sloppy research. They mm. had him surprised at some um, 1980s technology, and I won't spoil mm-hmm. it, and then I looked up that 1980s technology and found that it was all around in 1911. Oh, in, in, its, in the same form? Um, well, more or less, yeah, actually. Well, uh, there you go. You know, and there's no reason why Chris Pine's character would not at least know about those things. Mm-mm. And I and I instantly it was one of those little chimes in my head, you know, like when you see a, <laughs> a bit of costume out of place or an anachronism or something like that. Maybe I'm making yeah. too much about that because they redeem themselves. Now, Steve Trevor was a pilot as well as mm. being a spy in World War One, and they have this really touching moment where he finds out what's happened in aviation since World oh, War yeah. One. And I, I got misty-eyed over that. That's You're right. That was a very nice uh, – and like I said, he brought that character, that whole yeah. story brought a lot of the, the fun stuff and the laughs and the nice moments. Mm. So, yeah, I do agree. I mean, there was a moment later where he uses some of his quote-unquote pilot skills and I was like, I don't know if you could just – do that. I don't know if how similar <laughs> these things are. I feel like this is a stretch. But that was one of many stretches uh, that I was made to believe. So I was kind of gave them a pass on that one. Yeah, I know the moment you 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 mean, and and I found that very unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, let's but, let's say maybe he got to fly. No, that's World War One. <laughs> maybe well, it is, it's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, here's an idea. Maybe the uh, the guy who he's sort of imprinted upon, because it's a soul sort of spirit thing. Sure, yeah. Maybe he had flown a jet. Uh, I don't – I like where you're going with it, but from what we saw of that guy, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm, I think I'm, we're giving him a little too much credit. Maybe he'd played Flight Simulator. <laughs> maybe, maybe. They might have had a real retro version in the 80s, but um, yeah, yeah. and I mean, yeah, <laughs> thankfully um, I think there were at least some fun moments around those ridiculous ones. So like I said, they got a pass for that. I, I did I did spoil that slightly, but oh well, you know, it's been out for a few weeks now. It's fine. It's, yeah, um, you've had plenty of time. Yeah. Now, oh, but there's never enough time. I wish we had more time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, okay. Chris Pine. Mm. The, or the pine machine, as we could call it in this case, um, he has, he still has great chemistry of Gal yeah. Gatto. You know, he really does. Uh, and she has great chemistry with him. And, look, I really don't want to skate past Gal's fine performance once again as Wonder Woman. Yeah. You know, you can assume to – you can just go, oh, yes, and she's Wonder Woman and she's great again. 
I don't want to do that because she's the central role of this movie. She's present mm. for all of the occasions. I actually think that they really did a good job of playing to uh, the creation tropes of Wonder Woman. If we go back to 1941, mm. uh, you know, um, uh, psychologist and writer William Moulton Marston, uh, artist Harry G. Peter, and Marston took a lot of inspiration from his his wife Elizabeth and their life partner. It was a, it's a complicated relationship. Uh, Olive mm-hmm. Byrne and also early feminists and um, birth control pioneer Margaret Sanger. All of these people contributed to the creation of Wonder Woman, and she's a different superhero to S- Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've tried to bring some of that into this story, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. I I do think a lot of that I read as well that it Patty Jenkins really wanted to take the approach with Wonder Woman for her being a gentle soul and someone who's very empathetic and someone who's very, you know, not just about thrashing and killing and so on, which I think the studio wanted it to be a real, like, you know, lots of violence, ultra violence and stuff. But, and I think Gal, I think it's Godot actually. Gal Godot is actually quite good at playing that role. I mean, I think she's a great Wonder Woman. I think she's very good at playing this version of, of Wonder Woman. I wonder, I'd be curious to see how she goes in another type of role. But, um, I mean, that's not our concern here. I no. think she is beautiful in the, and I think she, I mean, here they really hit the nail on the head early on about, but she's so lonely. Look how lonely. She's so beautiful and alone. But but I thought it was okay because I do think underneath all that, even though she's like probably, you know, the best looking woman I've ever seen, I feel she does have some of that human quality to what she brings to it and the bit of vulnerability. And I, I think she does a nice job and she does a good job here again with both the, those lighter moments and, um, the action stuff. Although there's a few bits at the end where it was a little too earnest and I had a little giggle, but I think, I think I like how earnest she is in the role. She's really coming at it with a very firm heart. Uh, and I think that's a nice way of, of pitching it. That's a good point. I think this film does actually have a lot of heart. Mm. In it, and and that trope that they they play to of her being the lonely immortal, mm. we've discussed. It is a good that. one. It we've, is a good one to we've, explore. We've discussed that recently about other films, and I think that they really do. You know, again, I, I got misty eyed at some points mm. <laughs> when they're they're, mm-hmm. they're they're doing that. Um, now, her role that that sort of trope is actually interesting because um, previously. <laughs> In, in, say, the 1970s uh, Wonder Woman series, when mm. she's playing, when uh, Diana, Princess Diana is playing Diana Prince, mm. you know, the, the alter ego, the secret identity, um, she's had to be a little bit less uh, forward than Wonder Woman, quite a bit actually. You know, she's got, mm-hmm. to, she's mm-hmm. got to work into the society at the time. Less of a problem sure. in the 21st century. But, you know, back in the original or set in the 1940s, there were some things that she had to do. Now, the thing about that is that's the old, um, that old identity trope where you take the beautiful woman, you put glasses on her, you know, uh, maybe dress yeah. her down a little. Now, yeah. there is actually a character in this film that has that trope running, which is um, Kristen Wiig's uh, mm-hmm. uh, Minerva character. Yes, yes. The minute I saw her, I was like, they've definitely, they've made her look frumpy, uh, we're definitely, I could tell already what trajectory that character was going on because of how they kind of 
quote unquote uglied up Kristen Wiig by putting her in glasses and, you know, baggy clothes, which is, yeah, movie talk for the uh, the wallflower character. So, yeah, they I, I kind of enjoyed uh, the fun elements of that character's journey uh, in terms of the Minerva, Minerva. Is that the character's name? Yeah, Barbara Minerva. Yeah, right. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, do, are you familiar with that? Actress, she's a comedian. She's done a lot of comedies. I've and stuff. seen her in Ghostbusters and, um, oh, of course, and The Martian mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Downsizing as well. She's in that one too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think she's great. And, and of course, she's done voices for uh, Despicable Me and How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm familiar with her. She's a she's a, a very personable actress, mm-hmm. uh, um, and she actually does a good job of, of portraying the, the character change arc that she has to go through and the physicality of the role that she embraces. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. And I, she actually sells the role as it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do wonder if there's room for more of her in the future, I'll just say. Uh, I wonder if they've got ideas for her because I think, yeah, it would be interesting if so. Where it, where it doesn't work is when they switch over to the CGI for her empowered character i actually thought that was pretty not it wasn't bad looking you know it it Mm -hmm. was all there the way they depicted it but i was feeling like it didn't work yeah i totally agree i think them going head to head like seeing kristen wig doing the acting and the what she was saying and kind of that whole humanity element of it was great and then as soon as you have that kind of ultra powered bit you lose all of that nuance yeah. and it just, it, I totally agree, it fell a bit flat and it was a bit of a dud and, and that's not at all like besmirching the efforts of the visual effects because I do think that they did a nice job on that. It's just I don't think that was the right choice for it. I would have preferred to see her still acting. Yeah, maybe a costume for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I guess we might maybe we would have complained about that if they'd gone that direction yeah. too. We're now, pretty hard to please. Now, what superhero movie did did we pick back in the day because of the same element, and that was probably uh, Daredevil. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Whenever they had the guy in the suit, it was okay. Uh, and then I'm talking about the movie too. Uh, mm-hmm. But whenever they did the CGI, it just thought, why are we doing this? I know a yeah. human being can't do that, but it, there's camera work, there's stunts, and yeah. I don't want to kill anybody to do it, but there's ways to do this. I agree. We need a bit more coming through. Sometimes the CGI just a bit flattening. So, And that's a problem because they had the same, I felt the same problem with um, Ares in the first Wonder Woman movie. Mm, uh, and, I agree. And very much the same problem with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Steppenwolf. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the yeah. Justice League movie, and the same with the big bad in um, in Batman versus Superman, and it just seems to be a problem with the DC movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're not seeing the sort of equivalent of like Thanos, which was a, a brilliant creation. Well, to be fair, in his first iteration as Purple Grimace, he his CGI <laughs> wasn't as good. I will say, I think Brolin's performance and the way they did that in the last two, like Avengers, um, Infinity War and, and so on, was amazing. It's so yeah. good. And that's how it should be done where you really feel that character. But I think there was a few iterations of some villains in Marvel that were CGI themselves a bit uh, not not so great. So Yeah, that has, that has happened. <laughs> it's a tricky one. But, it's a, but, you know, they do when they do it well, they integrate them well. And I haven't really yeah. seen that happening in the DC movies so far. 
Not at all. That's the thing. I don't think we've had a success story in there yet. When we opened the show today, I just played straight up the the uh, Themyscira track mm. from um, the Wonder Woman 84 soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. Beautiful piece mm. of music. And mm. all those early scenes set on <sighs> Paradise Island, as it were. Mm. Awesome. The young Wonder Woman. Incredible. What do we call her? Younger tween? <laughs> Um, maybe, I don't know. I think what, I don't even know what age she would have been there, but yeah, we see a bit of young Diana and, and those opening scene, that opening bit, I was like, wow, like this, if this is the scale, like we're going, I'm really excited about this. And, and I will say, um, you know, I have some thoughts on the film, but unfortunately those early bits are probably the highlights of the film, in my opinion, anyway. Well, let's have another track now, and and I thought we'd go back, and I think I played this originally once before when we did uh, the first Wonder Woman movie, but I, I, I felt it just, it rolled over really nicely to this one. Mm. Um, and this is, of course, Linda Carter, oh, the, yeah. the 1970s Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. um, the once and future Wonder Woman, <laughs> many respects. And they do pay respect to her in this film in quite a, a lovely way, I thought. Yeah, I agree. And here she is leaving on a jet plane because <laughs> she's got a she had a singing career, and you know there's a lot of uh, uh, rock classics and power songs and stuff uh, and ballads and things. But leaving on a jet plane actually for me for Wonder Woman that makes sense. It's like the invisible jet plane, and, mm-hmm. and you can't see it anyway because it's on radio. So you know we're pretty <laughs> much hitting all the marks there. <laughs> This is the ill-made mute, or rather, this is Cecilia Dart Thornton, author of the ill-made mute, saying unto thee, forsooth, thou art verily listening to Zero G Gravity Free Radio on three triple R one hundred two point seven FM. That's Fantasy Madness. Linda Carter there, leaving on an invisible jet plane, doing a bit of a cover there, <laughs> spinning around in her musical mode when she's not playing the original Wonder Woman back in the 1970s. Mm. Well, not quite the original, but we don't need to go there because we are talking about <laughs> Wonder Woman 84 here, Patty Jenkins' new film. So we, we unpicked some of the actors in there. Poor people. Now they're all unravelled all over the place. We <laughs> cannot move on without mentioning mm. Pedro Pascal. Yes, the ultimate scene scenery chewer in this film <laughs> and really going for a, kind of a different role than what I've seen him in before, like really going hard on like a hammy comedy kind of role. Yeah, so he plays Max Lord, who's kind of our antagonist, I guess, here. And, um, yeah, playing with relish, I think. He's been, I think that character's been interpreted before in the Tim Burton Batman movies. Oh. Yeah, Maxwell Lord, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think uh, it's either Batman 1 or, or um, Batman Returns in, mm, uh, okay. in the Burton ones. Anyway, um, Pedro is great. Mm. Uh, he is playing a Trumpian character. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, a guy who's basically uh wannabe oil magnate, but he's also quite out there as a con man. Let's face mm. it, he's a con man, basically. Yeah. They, they, they describe him up front as, as running a sort of a Ponzi scheme, and it's entirely correct. Uh, yeah. his, his saving grace is that he very much loves his son. Mm, the classic family backdrop. Yeah. I'm not sure. Now, you know, I mean, this is just me speaking. I'm not sure how much of a Trump trope that is. 
<laughs> yeah, let's say there's some fictional elements, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's being a bit nasty. Then again, considering the subject, anyway. I think we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pedro Pascal. Oh, and there's only like hours to go. By the way, when we as we're talking about this, you know, like you could get a delivery off a um, <laughs> off 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 an online company in less time than it would take. <laughs> <laughs> to get uh, Mr. Trump out of office. Anyway, or office, as the case may be. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, back to Pedro Pascal. Of course, he is the Mandalorian. And mm-hmm. I first saw him in, um, I think, The Great Wall. Oh, okay. Movie. I'd only known him as, I think, Oberon. Is that the character from Game yeah, of Thrones? That's right. Actually, I can go back even further. I actually first saw him without knowing it in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes! I can picture him in there now and I'd never realised until you just said it. He played a wow. character called Eddie the Freshman. Yes, yes. <laughs> in, in like, yes, in the Freshman, in first episode of season four. Oh, that's good. Well done. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Wow, he's come far. He has. Oh, I'm really. I feel quite shook by that. Well, it's all downhill after Buffy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Pedro's done pretty well for himself. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the although his face is not really going to be all that well known <laughs> from the Mandalorian, at least. Uh, and of course, he was in Kingsman, Golden Circle as well. The Golden Circle. No. Um, yep. Yeah, I almost mm. got that. But I think he's perfect in this. Uh, and it's an ho- a horrible role, and he's he's mixing up um, uh, what's the guy's name? Another guy with an alliterative name, like a superhero, Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> another and, superhero. Yeah, well, you know, GG, and it's all. And I was making, <laughs> I, I noticed the other day that you are Megan McHugh. Yeah, so I you know. have a Marvel name too. Secret identity. <laughs> yeah. And Gene Hackman's portrayal of Lex Luthor from the 1978 mm. Superman film. And one, actually, when I was thinking about that, I thought that's actually a way into this film because it is Wonder Woman 84 and they have resurrected a lot of the tropes. Mm, mm, yeah. You know, Kristen Wiig's character has got that um, I, I must be dulled down so I can rise mm-hmm. up again. Uh, you know, the, the, there's the, uh, the, the body swapping sort of mind control sort of thing going mm. on from innumerable genre films from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there is one thing from the 80s that they included in this that really brought the movie down for me. Mm-hmm. And this is the portrayal of the Middle East. Yes, agree. We had pre- we talked a little bit about this, Rob, and I wholeheartedly agree that there was some odd choices made here. Some racist stereotypes, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and cultural ones too. Like, what's there is a, a subplot that puts them over into um, into Egypt, mm. and the ostensible reason is for that for that is to um, to run a kind of um, an homage to an Indiana Jones uh, famous stunt, which mm, does right. which, which in itself is fine. The stunt yeah. stunt part of that is fine. No problem with that. Yeah. that. I actually think that's probably the best stunt sequence in the film. Uh, that in a fight, mm. that in a fight in an eighties shopping mall earlier on. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean they included them all, but yeah, I think as a whole that subplot's a bit unnecessary. I don't think it needs to be there, especially not the way they've done it. And I'm very uncomfortable with it, mm. um, and it has attracted a fair chunk of comment in 
local press, and I mean Middle Eastern press, and yeah. I actually think rightly so. It feels like I'm watching. I'm back in that. Um, um, every person from that area is a terrorist, or uh, some kind of um, greedy oil shake, or you know, yeah, uh, it's it's a bit gross. And when I was watching the film, I was I was kind of like. This is very uneasy on me. Like, I don't understand why this scene, why these scenes are here for a start, and secondly, why they're portrayed this way. And it just felt all very uncomfortable. And so I'm, I'm not glad it's not just me, but I kind of, I, I can see now that yeah, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people have taken away from the movie that they found it to be pretty offensive as well. And I think we do need to call it out a bit that it was, it was a very weird choice that why they would do that. Well, you can say it was the, you know, in the 80s, that was the trope. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's, mm. that's, that's, that is in its context. I get that. But you're going to have to call it out. Yeah, I agree. You need to have another, another layer there where you're giving them everyone a nod of saying, oh, we know that this is <laughs> a highly offensive portrayal kind of thing. But and, there wasn't any of that. And having Gal... Gadot, <laughs> and having made that having made that pun about Gadot, I'm always going to say it, Gadot. I can see that. I uh, think that's fine. Having her do it would have been extra, especially good. I mean, apart from the whole Princess Diana Wonder Woman thing, and she does call out the truth mm. in this in this film a lot. It's a tr- it's a it's a plot, a story mm-hmm. arc. Um, having her do it as a, a former member of the Israeli Defence Force and so on, it would have been. A good gesture, mm-hmm. but the way they've played it, it falls flat in its face. Yeah, which um, is a great pity because Patty Jenkins is a is a good director. She represents mm. people. She did a lot of that in the first Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, you know? agree. She gives different perspectives, and then suddenly we're given this. Yeah, I I agree. I, I'd, I'm boggled, quite frankly. Yeah. I think there's. There's that and there's maybe one other thing that didn't I thought was a bit odd and I, I suppose we can talk a little bit about it now we're talking about sort of I think obviously in the 80s there was, you know, women's roles and, the you know, feminism and whatnot <laughs> just to bucket it all like that. But I did it didn't sit great with me when there's sort of an element of the Wonder Woman character here where I understand there's a great love but there was a few dialogue pieces where she was really like, uh, or, you know, I, I need to have a man, I can't, like, there's no point me living without a man. Like, did you feel that, Rob? Was it just, I just kind of thought, oh, I kind of understand what you're saying about this lonely immortal thing, but the, the the pitch here is just a little off and it's actually coming off a bit, like, needy. Do you think that she was pining too much? <laughs> you were waiting for that. I was, I was, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Like, I totally understand, like, and that's what I found and that's what kind of bugs me too if we're talking a little bit about the Captain America thing. Like, yeah, he had a great love, but at no point was he like, I can't live my life. I'm crippled by this loss of the man, you know, the woman in my life or whatever. I I just felt they could have shown her picture of loss and been like, I just want one thing for myself, but also still make it be like she doesn't think her whole world has ended. Like, mm. I don't know. I just thought that was a bit of a strange thing for a, a, a movie that does a lot for empowerment and really just try to show a diverse female experience. I, I, I will note that um, towards the end of the movie, <clears throat> there's an opportunity for her to reach out and mm. seek companionship that she mm. doesn't take. And I, I pay that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, that's true. That is true. Mm. I, 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 
I think you're right. <laughs> but, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. And I thought, oh, I'm a little bit, she's not, she's less wondrous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you can still get some of those feelings across. I think maybe it was just a dialogue. It could have just been the writing. The writing was clunky and it came across in a totally different way. So that was a bit of a shame too. One one little tiny thing that I really liked, um, they did a, you know, the usual uh, sweep round of um of photos and stuff on on her desk, showing that she has historical depth back to World mm, War One mm, mm, mm. in in the in the world of men. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the pictures showed her with an aging uh, Etta Candy. Yeah, from the first film, and I thought that was nice. Oh, oh. yeah, that was a really nice touch. Because <laughs> she's too busy now being um, one of the aunts in um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of witches. I think I think that's about it for our look at Wonder Woman eighty four. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely satisfied with it. There's some there. Look, there were moments when I thrilled, mm. you know, and there were yeah. moments when I did get misty eyed about some of it. Uh, mm. And there are, you know, bits that are, that are uplifting and and, and 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 you know, just to see those was a wonderful thing, actually. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I. I just I feel I feel like it, it it just didn't ever go like the needle never tipped over to me feeling like I was truly having fun. And then well it didn't tip to disappointment either. It was just it was just okay. And I think the action scenes, they were great. They were too few and far between. I wanted a bit more it's a superhero film. I wanted a little bit more action, a little bit more, you know, that that kind of cool stuff. Like not to sound like, you know, too basic, but but there was a lot of story and it was drudgy story and and I just, you know, like I'm, I'm great if we're doing a beautiful story. Like Marvel has had plenty of films where there's a lot of character development and not a lot of action and it's done well. I just don't think this just – I wanted more from it and it wasn't bad but I'm not going to think about it ever again. <laughs> Some superhero procedural I thought they did rather well in this one um, and and – and they get stars from me for this. They started to use the magic lasso, the or the lasso of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They they started doing stuff about riding the lightning because there's a yeah. whole thing about that. Um, yeah. Developing some of uh, Wonder Woman's other powers. I yeah. thought they did that really well. Um, Agree. You know, and there, there's a lot of stuff uh, and lore and um, and Easter eggs really when you think about it woven mm-hmm. into that that they did present rather well in this yeah. film. Uh, it's just a pity that the context wasn't quite so good. We've talked about this before, that a, a superhero movie mostly will have a lot of action in it, just as a dance movie has lots of dancing in it or singing. You know, so if you don't work that that well, it's not going to fly, <laughs> so to mm. speak. <laughs> Agree, yeah. Mm. So. so how do we treat this as a, in zero-G terms of ratings and stuff? Yeah, no, or maybe, or... Honestly, I'm a maybe, and I say that as well only because as someone who loves anything in the 80s, and the 80s generally is always a tick from me, it was fun, but I don't know, even that didn't tip it over to a year, which says a bit about it, so it's a maybe for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in that as well. I'm in a, um, yeah, maybe thing mm. zone, which is sad. A, shame. a Look, big shame, a big shame. But I will resist the idea 
if anyone says to me, you know, oh, well, women can't make superhero films and all superhero films must pivot off the success or failure of this one mm. film, that just no. does not stand Codswallop. No, no, that's the thing. Like we're taking this movie on its merits and we didn't like it as much and I don't think it has anything to do with, I don't think we should be, yeah. Mm. Anyone who's like, it's because female-led superhero movie, it was made by a woman. I don't think that's not why. <laughs> no, you have the right to succeed or fail or come down in the middle. Yeah, on your own. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. All right, so <laughs> we've probably gone on more about Wonder Woman 84 than we, we, we intended to. Um, so just going to give you a little bit of a, a lead into our, our next bit here. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that this television series theme song actually had words, <laughs> but it does. Triple R. Ah, take it there with the solo. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a, a vocal version of Bewitched with Pamela Luss there. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because we're talking about WandaVision, mm. which has dropped two episodes on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I, I've got to say my... My heart lifted when when the the Disney fluttering page logo came up. Uh, sorry, yeah, the, Mar- the, the Marvel one. Yeah, yeah, the Marvel logo. I have to say, when yeah, when it does this little clicking over thing, I did feel a little happy. Made a little happy noise. That was kind of fun. <laughs> well, you didn't um, you didn't uh, twitch your nose or or. Or uh, put your hand, arms together and blink, as Jeannie did. <laughs> I wish. I tried for a long time to learn the nose switch, and it is quite difficult. Yeah, I can't do any of that. <clears throat> you could probably manage something if you, like, sneezed all at once. It would be very dangerous. WandaVision. It's created by, um, I quite don't know how to pronounce this name, J-A-C, Jack or Jaff, Jess or Schaefer. Anyway, the last name. Um, uh, she did a science fiction rom-com called Timer, mm. which starred Emma Caulfield. And, ah. and in that, um, the characters had wrist implants, which counted down to the moment that their users would meet their soulmate. Oh, it's very Black Mirror slash in time. Yeah. And, of course, Emma Caulfield is in this WandaVision. Yes, of Buffy fame as well, obviously. Playing a character called Dottie. And, um, well, basically, um, Schaefer, she's very committed to having films with more perspectives because she Mm -hmm. believes that they're better stories, so Mm. there's a lot of positive representation. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has worked before as a writer on um, The Hustle and uh, she's also working on um, a movie called The Shower with Anne Hathaway. Oh, Annie Hathaway, as she prefers to be called. Annie Hathaway, yes. Well, that's a colossal effort and I hope it works well. Um, she co-wrote the screenplay for Captain Marvel. Oh. And she also worked on the script for Black Widow. Nice. And she's all, all about um, having more uh, more complicated villains. Mm-hmm. She cites um, uh, Killmonger from the Black Panther as an inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Love that. Um, I would also say um, uh, Fisk from um, Daredevil. Uh, yeah, yeah. And also um, I do think, uh, what's his face, David Tennant from Jessica Jones. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, 
<laughs> I get the shivers when I think of that character. Uh, and anyway, she's worked on a lot of um, Marvel stuff, so she knows what she's doing. She's also after, um, what did, how did she put it, less glamorization of weaponry. Oh, I like that. And, and she wants uh, less, she wants an alternative to, to physical violence. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a default setting in superhero movies, and I respect that because, you know, the Marvel Universe is a, is a diverse and complex one, and, and you can do that. Mm, mm. Okay, WandaVision. Two episodes so far. They're roughly they're, they're under half an hour each. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that because they are playing a sitcom trope in these episodes so far that we've seen. Um, it's set, and I couldn't yes. quite figure this out, but it is set after Avengers Endgame. Ah, yes. I had thought that was what the premise was, but that's confirmed. This is definitely, this is a now timeline kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So after the events of Avengers Endgame, uh, the Vision, the Scarlet Witch's partner, um, is Mm. dead, essentially, or deactivated. Yeah. So what's Mm -hmm. going on? This is a movie that, uh, sorry, it actually plays like a movie too, come to think of it, a little bit like Pleasantville. And we've, mm. we've talked before about um, how this r- seems to riff off um, a particular arc of comics called um, the Pleasant Hill Saga in the uh, the Marvel Universe in the comics uh, and, and also a little bit of House of M as well. Yeah. So there's, mm. there are some echoes of that in here. We don't know quite how far they're going to go into that. Because, yes. Because they always change it. Mm-mm. And they're definitely drip feeding us only a few things per episode. So we've only seen the two, obviously, and it hasn't really revealed much. It's revealed little bits and pieces. There's a few Easter eggs to see, but you're really not learning a lot about what's going on, except that you know not everything is as it seems, which uh, is, yeah, at first you think it's a suburban, you know, idyllic community. And it's a bit of, again, the fish out of water thing, but um, firmly and also obviously firmly based around, like you said, the sitcom trope of I Love Lucy for the first episode of like your 50s and then 60s, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, that kind of vibe. And then I guess we're going to keep going forward every decade, I guess, is the idea from what the trailers suggest as well. Then we'll go to a 70s uh, type of vibe. And so far they've been absolutely perfect like as someone who watched a lot of bewitched growing up uh i can definitely i think they've done a really nice job of capturing it but making it a little bit weird like just slightly off yeah if we if i'd seen this back in the 60s i would have i would have watched the hell out of it yeah because yeah. <laughs> it's weirder than it is weirder than bewitched or uh, or i dream of genie or mr mm. ed or any of those shows um, uh, it, as weird as they often were. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we've got Elizabeth Olsen playing Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, and Paul Bettany reprising his role as the Vision. Betty never thought that this was where he was going after playing the voice <laughs> of Tony Stark's AI Jarvis for all that time. I know. <laughs> and and, and i got to say, Paul Bettany in this, he's a, he's a revelation. I knew he mm. could do kind of comedy because I remember him from um, First Night, you know, that... Uh, oh, yeah, the Heath Ledger. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, Heath, Heath Ledger, the Chaucerian epic. The Knight's Tale. Knight's Tale. What do I call it? Mm. A f- first Night. <laughs> oh, okay. But I know the movie you're thinking of, yeah, the... the, yeah. the, the, the the night thing with modern music. Yeah, with the Queen music and stuff. Mm. I actually love that film. Um, 
And Paul Bettany, he is a good comic actor, but I hadn't realised how much he was in this. It's just yeah. he got, he's unleashed in this. And, yeah. and Elizabeth Olsen is is amazing as the as the suburban housewife role. I mean, you know, this is like desperate housewives and all those other things rolled into one. Mm-hmm. And it's and she you can see that Wanda the character is trying to hold this all together, whatever yeah. it is, whether it's um, uh, whether she's trying to do some kind of um, reality denying thing because she um, she mourns vision mm. or whether mm-hmm. she's being imprisoned or a bit of both or which also leaves so many op- opportunities for where they might go and who might pop up like I've already got some hopes <laughs> that I of people that I think I would love to see pop up and um and yes yeah, also includes our favorite nosy neighbor trope played by <laughs> Catherine Hahn and she I love that actress and I'm so happy that she seems to have kind of a big ish recurring role here and possibly with some surprises down the line I don't know I've been reading a lot of conspiracy theories about the series which is fun too because I think that's the point of it they drop us two episodes we watch them we have questions we go on the internet and start you know um <laughs> making conspiracy theories and it's kind of worked like I'm very keen to see actually what's going on here and where they're going to go. And it's clear that um, other people from the MCU are sort of in there as well. Like we've got uh, Tiana Paris playing a grown-up Monica Rambeau. Uh, we saw her Rambo, sorry. We saw her in um, uh, Captain Marvel as a child. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, yeah. Meant to be. Yeah, and and she's obviously not quite sure where she is either. So, you know, there are these things that that reality is bleeding through, Mm. or the MCU's reality, uh, to the extent that these are all filmed in black and white, but there are actual colour bleed throughs. And when they they handled the transition to colour television and stuff. So I think this is really, really smart superhero stuff. Um, Not what you would expect necessarily, but I actually think this is a perfect way to segue into the the new phase of the MCU, into phase Mm. four. Um, And speaking of Thor, Kat Dennings will return in here as Darcy Lewis at some stage. Oh, fun. I like her too. And what is the echo that that gives us? Well, Kat Dennings is in Two Broke Girls, a modern sitcom. Mm-mm. I've never watched that actually. Well, actually, I don't know when I say modern. A lot of its stuff feels very dinosaurian, <laughs> but nevertheless, so that is another sort of sitcom thing. And they're they're playing off so many of the classics like the Honeymooners and uh, and I Love Lucy and mm. the Dick Van Dyke Show. They actually consulted oh, with yeah. Dick Van Dyke. Oh, Dick Van Dyke! Yeah. I love him. Still hoofing, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable. Uh, yeah, so I actually think they've done a terrific job with this. They've got commercials in there. Mm, yes, keep your eyes on the commercials, that's all I'll say. Yeah, which are highly significant. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to – I don't know where to go with this, but I want to go with it. <laughs> it's exciting, isn't it? I like – it's got the great elements of the nostalgia stuff, but then there's enough of the mystery behind where you're like, ooh, okay, interesting. Mm. This is going to keep me interested. So – very cool. Very good direction. I'm here for it. And I think they're both great in it. Honestly, they're really doing that whole. The tone is great. Mm. I think. Can't wait to see more. Yeah, the set design is perfect. In fact, it's so, it's too perfect. Mm. <laughs> and that, that, that makes you sus. And you look at the, you look at the facades of Westview, the town, mm. at the perfectly manicured lawns, the white picket fences, the 
the almost uh, what's it, Wes Andersonian um, mm. symmetry of the driveways and the f- and the facades of the houses, and you think there's something wrong with this. Yeah, and then something <laughs> creepy will happen, and you'll be like, "What is going on?" And then it'll just snap back. Yeah, mm. definitely check it out if you're if you're keen. Yeah. Disney Plus. Would this play well if you hadn't seen any of the Marvel stuff? Possibly not. I'm guessing. <sighs> Because you've got to know the history of the Vision and, and the Scarlet Witch to get the full value. Yeah. I think you wouldn't get some of the jokes. Some of the jokes really depend on knowing a little bit about their history. Mm. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting. You could maybe still watch it, but I don't know if you'd get full enjoyment. Because I've become more and more aware. Oh, this is like 20-odd films for Marvel. Not everybody's seen all of them. <laughs> no. And, I mean, I, do, I also think to get up to speed, you wouldn't need to see all of them either. Like no. There's some key ones and then there's some key things to know. Anything with um, Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, uh, hey, what yeah. about that rumour about Chris Evans? I know. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah. see. In, I don't the, believe anything. The, the rumour no. is uh, in talks with um, Marvel to reprise his character of the Human Torch in the next Fantastic Four. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, Evans tweeted – bad boy that he is. He just tweeted, news to me. <laughs> oh, got to love him. Well, that's it for today on Zero G. WandaVision is on Disney Plus, two episodes so far, a third episode coming up on the weekend. And we're going out now with Sound and Vision. Oh, good one. <laughs> Mr. Nice. Mr. Bowie. And Sophie is coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kayla, our podcaster. And also thank you to Adam, who keeps saving my bacon when it comes to sorting out the console here. A number of uh, ridiculous flippity-gibbet moments that I've been having. (laughs) G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.